listening to the HR Mixtape, your podcast with the perfect mix of practical advice, thought-provoking interviews, and stories that just hit different so that work doesn't have to feel, well, like work. Now, your host, Sherry Simpson. Joining me today is Ryan Davis. Ryan is a 20-plus year retired naval officer with 4,000 hours of flight time encompassing multiple deployments in support of combat operations around the globe. His most recent assignment was as the commanding officer for Patrol Squadron 47, a P-8 squadron responsible for executing the nation's maritime strategy. During that tour of duty, Commander Davis led his team of 300 sailors through organizational cultural change, resulting in the highest morale on record across all VP squadrons, being awarded the Navy and Marine Corps Association Leadership Award and earning the Battle E Award for Efficiency. Ryan is the founder of Take Flight Leadership, an organization helping individuals and companies achieve their goals. He is the author of Take Flight, Cultivating Culture Through Trust, Teamwork, Purpose, and Ownership. Ryan, certified as a SHRM Senior Certified Professional, a Resilience Building Leader Program Trainer, and as a BCSP Associate Safety Professional, all to better help him serve the teams that he works with. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Sherry. So you have lived a life I think many of us could only dream about, you know, flying missions around the globe, leading a squadron of hundreds. Now you're leading your own business. I'm I'm curious as we get started in this in this conversation, what's been your biggest like quote unquote pinch me moment so far in your journey? You know, yeah, I've learned a lot about myself over the last 24 years in the Navy. And uh, what, I, what I learned is that I, I love helping people, love helping teams and organizations. Uh, and so I'll preface this with, you know, I'm a, a, a father of five. I've been married 19 years. And so I have plenty of pinch me moments as, as being a father and a husband. I, I think that's my, my main role. Uh, but professionally, at my time in the Navy, it had to be my experience with BP-47. It was a, a command or a squadron that I got to be the commanding officer for. I, I could tell you. Uh, you know, it's a long story, but the organization was in a bad place. We had two commanding officers that got fired back to back for personal misconduct. And they were just the tip of the iceberg. It was a, a squadron mired in management misconduct and malpractice. You know, our culture surveys indicated that we were in the bottom in morale, communications and leadership. And uh, when I showed up to the squadron, uh, you know, I can tell you that the second order effects of our toxic leadership were uh, they're really astounding. We're the worst performing squadron. Uh, we had sailors being discharged for attempted murder, dereliction to duty, fraternization. Uh, we had sailors routinely assaulting their spouses. It was just a bad place. And my heart was broken for our employees, for our sailors, for our teammates, because VP-47 was not what the Navy had promised. And with three sons in the Navy, I know you know exactly what that what that promise is. And I feared that our, our squadron wasn't battle ready. And, and if I could explain that, it's just simply if a worst case scenario were to have occurred, I, I truly felt that our team would run from the fight. It'd run from the danger instead of running towards it. Uh, and something really had to change there. And, and, and something did change in, in less than two years time. Uh, the employees, the sailors at VP-47, took collective control of their destiny, and their efforts ranked our squadron as number one in morale across all three employee categories. Going back many years, as far back as the culture survey would look, and the, the odds of being number one in all three employee categories were over one in eight million. And, and I was so excited to get those results in our culture survey, just the, the, the organization transformation. Uh, but the real pinch me moment was when I got to round the whole team up 
and and brief and present uh, the results and to say, hey, look what you guys did. Number one in morale, all three employee categories. It was just a, a really pinch me moment. It was it was fantastic, but it was never about being number one in morale. It was, it was really just a focusing on our, our culture and, and being number one in morale was a, was a symptom of our culture. So that by far had to be the pinch me moment was was just letting the team know that uh, what they were doing was working. That was fantastic. I'm sure there are so many HR professionals listening to this that are getting goosebumps as you talked about kind of the um the state that was before you guys decided to really work on yourselves and, and be the people that you become, you know, we encounter that so much in the HR spaces, you know, employees not having that buy-in um, and having the kind of culture that they want. You know, you wrote a book called Take Flight, and it really emphasizes the importance of cultivating culture. You know, I'm curious, you know, your perspective in this kind of fast-paced tech world, how do we make sure that we're creating culture where, um, or that we're cultivating culture, not just creating it or not just checking a box. I mean, you could have definitely gone into that command and checked a box, right? And it doesn't sound like that's what happened. No, you know, we're, we're always creating a culture by our actions, our words, our deeds, our focus. Uh, how do we cultivate a culture is, is you really have to be intentional about it. I, I have a cup right here. And I feel like this cup represents you, it represents me, it represents everybody that you work with, everybody you know. And the purpose of this cup is to be full and to, and to be poured from. And when we're serving our purpose, we're fulfilled. And when we're not serving our purpose, when the cup is empty, we feel empty. And I, I, I think that in America, at least, uh, most of us come to work with the full cup on Monday and we pour from that cup into our organization, our coworkers, our friends, our bosses, and uh, we leave work with it a little less full than when we came. And we're trying to recharge that cup during our time off with our family, our hobbies, whatever it may be. And, but it, it tends to be that the cup continues to kind of get lower and lower and lower throughout the work week. And, and, and for some people, it gets empty and we have nothing left to give. And I would say that's kind of the current model, the state of America and employment organizations. And I, I, I reject that model. I don't like that model. Um, I, I, I want to work at a place where we come to work and the cup gets overflowed at work. I want to work at a place where I want to, I can't wait to get to work because I want that cup to be filled. I don't need to save any of it. And when I get to work, I can pour freely of that cup without worrying about saving it for when I get home for my family. And so I know that sounds like a, a crazy vision, but that's how I always thought that, that work should be for our people. And so I think one of the main problems that we have at work, um, at any level, as we view our decisions as supporting uh, one or the other, and what I mean one or the other is, is, is mission accomplishment or morale, right? And there's so many things. It's people or profit. What comes first? And the reality is they're really directly linked. You can't have one without the other. They're, they're, they're both required. And so it reminds me of an interview I participated in where a peer of mine asked uh, the interviewee this question, what's more important, mission accomplishment, morale? And as, as he asked this question, I was scratching my head, sitting next to him, and I thought about it, and I said to myself, I, I hate that question. I can't stand <laughs> that question. Don't make me pick between mission accomplishment and morale, because they're directly linked, right? Show me an organization that can't accomplish a mission, can't make a sale, turn a profit, can't keep customers or investors happy, yet has sky-high morale. 
I don't think that organization exists. And then conversely, show me an individual that shows up to work every day and gives level best 100%, but doesn't feel as a valued member of the team, doesn't understand the organization's purpose, and doesn't feel opportunity for growth. I don't think that person exists. And it's because mission accomplishment and morale, people and profits, they're directly linked. And when we view our decisions as supporting one or the other, I, I feel like so many managers, it's a balancing act, right? How do I serve my customers? How do I uh, ensure we're having profits and take care of my people all at the same time. And and when we view our decisions as supporting those things, then we lose sight of the bigger picture. And sometimes we actually can confuse our employees. Um, and so I think my thesis is this, is that culture is king. And when organizations place culture as their number one priority, um, everything else falls in line. When, when culture become number becomes number one, then mission accomplishment will go up. And, and with it, morale or morale will go up and with it, mission accomplishment. And I think that when, when that light bulb turned on for me, that's when we were able to make some big changes at, at BP 47. And so my thesis is culture is king and, and at every organization is different. But what worked at BP 47 was trust, teamwork, purpose and ownership. That was the secret sauce to our, our culture there. And we focused on that quite a bit. You know, I suspect that going through that change that you had people who resisted it, you know, people that maybe you had to have uh, tough conversations with. How did you really articulate that, that, that ownership that they needed to take, to take on themselves to embrace the change? And in the military is obviously a little bit different. There's a chain of command and there's some things that we don't necessarily have in the corporate world, but I think the tactics are probably the same. How did you approach that? Yeah, absolutely. I'll address both kind of two questions there. And, and, and one is that, uh, you know, that our stories may be set upon the backdrop of, you know, deployments, flying aircraft, working in a hangar. Uh, but the interactions at 47 aren't unique because they're human interactions. They really take place at, at every organization. You know, we didn't come up with a better way of flying aircraft or invest money in the business. We just simply focused on basic human needs. So I would say that the, the model can work for any leader at any organization anywhere. Uh, and then, you know, you, you talked about people who are resist change, right? That's going to happen everywhere. People fear change, right? And, and I can completely understand why. I, I've been there before myself. And I think uh, communication is key. Um, but, but before communication, there needs to be trust. That's the, the first aspect of, of any winning culture and any winning team is, is really trust. Uh, because I, I mentioned before that we have this cup and, and we want to fill it up at work. But the reality is without trust as employees, we kind of have this filter on our on our cup and we won't let you pour into our cup. Even though that's the purpose, we won't let you because we don't trust you. You know, what do you want in return for pouring into my cup? That's what we think. Right. You know, you could offer everybody in your organization free college for their all their kids and they'd be like, skeptical about why you're doing that, right? I don't want that. I want to know why first. I want to know more, right? And so uh, I think President Roosevelt said it best when he said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? And so earning trust is really about showing care. It's, I, when I think of trust, three words come to mind, uh, character, competence, and care, right? All three things. And I, I think the one that we struggle with most, especially as leaders, is is care. And so, uh, when you show people how much you care about them, when you get to know them and you understand you know, their needs, their wants, their desires, their aspirations, um, and they know that you care about them, I think they're willing to listen. And uh, But that's, that's easier said than done, right? It's easier said than done for sure. 
Uh, and I will admit that we had people in the in the organization that that lasted a long time uh, without wanting to change, and they could see the fortunately the organization change around them. And I think what they saw was it changing for the better. And finally, the light bulb came on. You know, there's no amount of communication, no amount of trust that would allow them to, to for you to fill that cup. It wasn't until the people around them started opening the cup, and they said there was nothing. There's nothing required back to fill this cup. They just wanted to fill the cup. I think that. Uh, so it's a challenge for any leader, for any organization, um, and it's a difficult one for sure. But I think it starts with trust, which starts with care, and and then effective communication after that, just to tell them what the reasoning behind the change. And if you're a leader listening to this and you think you've tried that, here's my challenge to you. Have you been authentic in pouring into the cup, or did you actually create a tit for tat, <laughs> you know, you expected something in return. I think, I think that's a trap we can fall into as, as leaders is say, Hey, we've done all these things, but you know, your words don't match your actions or vice versa. And so, you know, people see that stuff. Absolutely. I, I think my advice to leaders would be, don't give up. You know, I gave up when I was younger. I'd say, he wants to be on the team. I want you to be on the team. It was an open invitation. I want to get to know you. Uh, here's my bio. Here's what makes me tick. Let's have a meeting. Let's talk about each other. Let's do a potluck. Let's do all this great stuff. And there were people that never got back to me with their bios. There were people that uh, didn't show up to the meeting. There were people that didn't really uh, accept my invitation. And, uh, and when I was younger, that bothered me. Right. I thought to myself, well, this person doesn't want to be on the team. They clearly don't care about being on the team. And uh, and so I kind of moved on without them. You know, it was a team of people who want if you want to be in the team, then then we can. Like you said, the military is a, a chain of command. And and I think in the, in, in the private sector, it's the same way. Right. You have a chain of command and there there are rules and guidelines or contracts that you have to abide to. And I can lead through the contract. Or I can lead through trust, teamwork, purpose, and ownership. The choice is yours whether you want to be on the team or not. And as I got older, uh, and it really through my kids, you know, this is a, a unique story. My, my daughter told me, um, she asked me, Dad, what pajamas should I wear to school tomorrow? And I said, Hazel, it was pajama day, okay? I said, Hazel, it doesn't matter what pajamas you wear. They, they both look great. And she said, no, Dad, it's really important because uh, there's a winner for best pajama and so I really want to know which one you think is is uh, the best. And I'll preface this with my my daughters, and this one in particular. She's an amazing student, athlete, person. She wins all the time, right? And so I told her, uh, Hazel, doesn't matter which one you wear, you're not going to win the pajama contest. And she said, Why won't I win the pajama contest? I said, Hazel, people like you uh, win all the time, and your teachers know that, and you don't need a victory. Right. Uh, the pajama contests are for people who need a victory. Right. And my son, who's two years younger, she was 10. He's eight, uh, shares a room. And the poor guy, his older sisters, three older sisters are such fantastic athletes and, uh, and scholars that sometimes he can get discouraged and he doesn't realize because he's younger. And so he looks at me and says, so, dad, the, the pajama contest is for people like me, then is what he said. And it broke my heart. It broke my heart because, you know, my kids play basketball on the street. My son's kind of the youngest of, of the kids that play on the street. He, doesn't, he gets picked last in basketball. Sometimes he can't make the, the, the ball went to the basket. Kids make fun of him, and he just quits and goes inside. And what I realized is that over time, I think if you have an employee that you feel is not ready to accept your invitation to be on the team, um, it's because they've been hurt by previous bosses, by previous uh, coworkers, and they don't want to open themselves up to being hurt again. 
Uh, and what I learned was that everybody wants to be on the team. 100% everyone wants to be on the team. And so what, what you have to do is understand that and never give up. Never give up, right? You're going to lose so many battles. There's going to be so many uh, 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 you know, uh, times when your, your folks push you away. But the reality is you just got to stay consistent because they want to be on the team. I can promise you that. No, you just got to stick with it. So that's a really long answer, uh, no, but that it's, was, it's one that's personal that to me. Great answer, and I, and I well, and I think it just I think we all have those examples of you know where we've seen things come to life. So I I love that example. You know, you have as part of your you know HR leadership coaching, you have a program around resilience building um, in leaders, and I, and I'm curious how you how you think about resilience playing into that role of cultivating an effective organization. Uh, great question. I can tell you that as I retired from the Navy, I, I took this certification course, uh, Resiliency Building uh, Leader Program Trainers, as I guess my certification. And, uh, and it was a really great experience. Um, I had just finished writing the book, uh, Take Flight. And, uh, you know, as I thought about what was most effective at building a winning culture at BP 47, it was trust, teamwork, purpose, and ownership. And as I went through the curriculum, uh, with my, with my coach for this certification, uh, their framework was almost the same. It was, it was, there's four sections. It was trust, teamwork, purpose, and then it was learning. And as I went through the learning section, I, I thought to myself, wow, so it was the same thing as ownership. It's just, it was just, uh, Packaged differently, learning, and in particular, are you a learning organization, right? And I think if you think about it, you know, uh, ownership and learning are, are kind of run hand in hand. You know, when you when you come across a problem, do you think about how to solve that problem, or you just do you just do what we've always done? Do you just do what the boss would want you to do, or what he told you to do last time? Do you just do what the organization did last time this problem occurred, or do you really think through it and learn? And I think that's the difference. That's the final step in, in a winning culture. Is is uh, are people really taking ownership and critically thinking about the problems that arise? Or in this case, are they are they a, a double loop learning organization where they really think about how to solve problems? So it's just it's kind of packaged a different way, but I was a, a complete believer. And to be honest with you, the resiliency is what is a byproduct. It's almost like morale is a byproduct of that culture, right? Profits uh, is a byproduct or mission accomplishment of that type of culture. And I think resiliency is a byproduct as well. When, when you trust that the organization has your back, when you really enjoy working with the people next to you, that results in you know, meaningful relationships. And when you understand your purpose, uh, it helps you become a resilient organization. So resiliency is important, but I really think that resiliency is a byproduct of these other things. And so it's not something that we necessarily need to focus on. It's something that will just naturally come uh, with a, with a, with a great culture. You know, as somebody who had a really successful career in the Navy, I'm, I'm curious, you know, why, why not go career? Why not stay in the Navy? Why come out and do this leadership coaching thing? And I mean, maybe those listening are assuming, well, it might be the five kids, but <laughs> I'd love to hear your transition from, you know, Navy to civilian and the work you're doing now. Yeah, there's, there's a, a, a bunch of reasons. Uh, and I can tell you as, as a natural leap for me, uh, I told you a bit earlier that I, I love helping people, teams and organizations. And so it was a natural leap for me. You know, when I, when I got our team together and talked to them about us being number one in morale, you know, we were all pumped up and I quickly brought us back to earth and said, hey, our goal was never to be number one in morale. That was never our purpose. It was a byproduct of our culture, our byproduct of, of putting each other first and taking care of each other. 
And I only ask them to, to bring the lessons learned, the magic at VP 47 to their following organizations. Cause as you know, in the Navy, we're constantly changing organizations and I didn't want those, that magic to be lost or to stop at VP 47. And, and for that reason, I, I, I don't want it to be lost at VP 47. I wanted to bring it out to, to everybody I could bring it to. Uh, and then in the Navy, we have a, you know, you get, you get aged out of being in a squadron, uh, a squadron, a ship, a submarine, uh, you know, those are teams of about 300 people, and uh, it's fantastic being on on one of those teams. But that was my last opportunity. Once you're a commanding officer of one of those, you you move on and, and you work in you know on staffs at the Pentagon and uh, budget acquisitions, policy, those types of things. And and that's just not my strong suit. Uh, and I wanted to do something that I really enjoyed. And then of course, yes, a big family. And it was time to stop moving them around. My my oldest is 16. My youngest is three. So a big split there. But uh, I told you in the beginning, my most important job is, is being a husband and father. And so it, it was a great leap for me. I'm super happy. I love that. You know, as we wrap up our conversation and, and I was looking through your bio and in, in prep of our of our chat today, you know, you had received this award. It's called the Navy and Marine Corps Association Leadership Award. And I'm just I'd love to hear what it meant to receive that and how that's influenced your approach and your work with Take Flight Leadership. Um, you know, I, I, I I'm going to downplay it because it didn't affect me much, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> it was. Uh, the, really, it was the number one in morale thing that I think it, uh, it impacted me the most. And uh, but but I mentioned it just a moment ago. It was a byproduct of, of our culture. We ended up winning the battle. E. The squadron won the battle. E. And uh, once again, it was just a byproduct of our culture. You know, our goal was never to win the battle. E. We didn't go around and pat each other on the back and say, hey, we won the battle. E. That's fantastic. And a lot of organizations, that is their goal because it signifies the best squadron. And it was never our goal because our goal is never to be the best squadron. Our goal was really to, to, to focus on culture. And, it, and it, there's a lot. I told you trust, teamwork, purpose, and ownership. And, and I, I, I do want to talk about purpose just for one moment before I let you go instead of talking about this silly leadership award. Um, because your sons are in the Navy. And, uh, and I think in the Navy, we have the ball cap ceremony. Or sailors, or our recruits officially become sailors, and a lot of them cry. Right? It's Lee Greenwood's "Proud to Be an American" is, is played over the loudspeakers, and and you can literally see the short hair standing tall on the backs of our sailors' necks, and they're pumped because the Navy is communicating at that moment that they're going to be on a team that makes a difference. They're going to be serving a purpose larger than themselves, and I think that uh, this is true in many organizations. Uh, it's definitely true in the Navy. But, but unfortunately, a lot of time passes by between that ball cap ceremony and when we get to our first organization. And when we get to our first organization, the, uh, the narrative changes. And no longer do we talk about our purpose of service to people, service to others, the American people, you know, and in particular, people who can't help themselves. We, we talk about you, right? And I think a lot of our organizations make the same mistake. Uh, we talk about your, your personal uh, progression throughout the organization. How do you achieve, right? And we actually have a name for it in the Navy. It's called the, the Golden Path. And the Golden Path is all about you. Um, you know, when I showed up to my first organization, we were told to, to qualify quickly so we become instructor pilots. And that would open the door for the best jobs in the organization. And those jobs would, would be your ticket to get the best evaluation reports. And those reports were your ticket to choose where you get to go for your next duty station. You know the model because you have sons there, right? And we're always chose, told to, to go where was best for our careers. And that's the golden path. And I, I really wish collectively our golden paths were like the golden rule, that we would just love one another. 
treat people the way we want to be treated. You know, show up and qualify quickly so you can help the people behind you qualify quickly. Get a great evaluation because you invest in your teammates, not because you outperform them. You know, choose where you go next based on where you make the greatest impact or where your family will thrive. And I, I think our confused narrative results in too many selfless sailors, selfless employees leaving our organizations. And I think we ought to focus more on the, the golden rule instead of the golden path. Focus your team more on service to others instead of service to themselves. And I think that uh, what you'll have is the, 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 a cup that starts to overflow more often. And so I'd rather finish with that because I think it's such an important aspect of, of uh, what we did at 47. I think it's an important aspect of, of why I won that leadership award uh, because because I saw our purpose is that. You know, we, we refocused our, our collectively our, our focus from to our, from ourselves to outer, to our teammates, to the people to the left and the right, and the people that we served. And I think that was probably most fundamental in, in, uh, in our team doing such so well. Well, Ryan, I am definitely inspired by everything you shared today, and I'm sure our listeners are as well. So thanks for taking a few minutes of your day to chat with me. Uh, sure. It was, a, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find show notes and links at thehrmixtape.com. Come back often and please subscribe, rate, and review.